Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, as America moves ever closer to adopting more clean and green energy options, there are unspoken realities about how much environmental damage those options can cause. On Sunday, February 13th, I'll be reporting a story that I call Clean Energy's Dirty Little Secrets. No, I'm not trying to rain on green energy. I think most people love the idea of energy that's clean. But a problem has long been cost, reliability, and many people don't know it, but the increasing question about how much pollution and toxicity is supposedly added by clean energy when it comes to the environment. It's something I don't find is discussed very often in a serious way, but it should be. After all, if we're just trading one pollutant for another, shouldn't we know about that and work on solutions? My eyes were open maybe 15 years or so ago when I started digging into green energy initiatives that the government was using taxpayer money for. I learned a lot about how they sounded really good, but tons of the money was lost to waste and fraud. And even when the money was spent as designed, as it was supposed to be, subsidizing certain programs, well, sometimes it just made people start businesses and invest in technologies that, when the government money ran dry, wouldn't sustain themselves. A lot of business people told me that the government forcing technology that isn't ready yet doesn't always help matters. Government can pay for stuff but cannot make the technology ready for prime time if it's not. More on that in a moment. One thing we've really done, though, is prop up and fund the Chinese. On the other hand, I have seen a great deal of progress over time when it comes to conversions to clean energy, with government often leading the way in adopting electric car policies, passing requirements that must be met. In my cover story, I will be talking to two experts on the topic, Steve Coonan, he's a professor at New York University. He was the Undersecretary for Science in the first Obama administration in the Department of Energy, and he sees all kinds of toxic pollution problems with our favorite green energy choices, electric, wind, and solar. Turns out it takes a lot of fossil fuel to make some of these things work, that production and disposal of products like batteries and solar panels create a lot of environmental poisons. Not to mention, as I said, we're buying a lot of those products from an adversary, China. I will also speak to Will Tour. He's the executive director of the Colorado Energy Office. I met him when I was working on stories in Colorado, where they're doing a lot of cutting-edge green energy initiatives. He will provide counterpoints and make the case that green energy is getting cleaner by the year and is going to be a much cleaner option, he says, than what we've been doing for centuries. But for this podcast today, 
I thought it would be fitting to play a story that I reported on full measure a couple of years ago called Solar Opposites. For that, I went to California and interviewed clean energy solar advocates about the state's controversial requirement that almost all new homes be outfitted with solar panels. Why is that so controversial? And why did I find clean energy proponents on opposite sides of the issue? I'll have the fascinating details after a short break. A few of you have asked how you can support independent journalism like you find at Full Measure and CherylAxon.com amid an increasingly managed and censored information landscape. At my website, Google Ads and Facebook have censored factual, footnoted, and cited posts, and Google demands daily that I remove dozens of pages from my website, which I won't do. These are factually accurate, cited news stories on topics that powerful interests apparently don't want you to know about. Well, now you can support off-narrative journalism by visiting the Cheryl Ackeson store at CherylAckeson.com for products that will tell the world you're an independent thinker And there are great gift ideas there for your independent thinking friends and family, too. Proceeds go to support a variety of independent journalism causes besides maintaining the website, including funding college journalism awards for independent, off-narrative student reporting. You can make a difference. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We're back, and here's a story I first reported on Full Measure about three years ago in January of 2019. I called it Solar Opposites. California is the first state to require all new homes have solar power. That could lead the way for other states to follow suit. And who doesn't love the idea of free, clean energy from the sun? But it's not quite that simple. It turns out free can be costly and clean can be dirty. Today's cover story is Solar Opposites. California leads the nation in use of sun-driven power with projects like the historic Los Angeles YMCA. Built in 1928, it has a new system of solar panels and solar hot water, saving money on energy. Solar power has come a long way since the first sun-powered telephone call using a solar battery in Georgia in 1955. Notice that a man's shadow falling across the cells, blocking out the sun, is enough to stop the train. California architect Vetus Mottery shows why California is perfectly situated to soak up the sun. This is Carbon Canyon, and you're looking at another street up here called Coal Canyon Road. Yet despite the Golden State's optimal positioning, climate, and solar innovations, energy prices are still among the highest in the nation. On average, Californians pay 60% more than the rest of us. The new solar panel rule aims to change that. In simple terms, can you tell us what this new regulation about solar panels on houses says and does? 
if you want to build new houses in California, you must put solar panels on them. Um, and you must put enough to power the house uh, most of the time. Thomas Elias is a syndicated columnist who's covered energy issues in California for 50 years. He says mandatory solar panels will add about $10,000 onto the price of a new home, but save costs in the long run. What would you say are the good points? Well, the first thing is that uh, the average buyer of, one, of a new home in California uh, will make money off of this because uh, while it, that approximately $10,000 would add about 40 bucks a month to the average mortgage. Uh, it will also save you about $80 a month in electric bills. So you'll make $40 a month uh, as long as you own the house. Over 30 years, an average homeowner will save an estimated $19,000 in energy costs, eventually more than making up for the added cost of solar panels. I personally think it's a good idea. I come from a city where it's very sunny all year round. It's 100 plus degrees right now. And it would help with the energy consumption. I'm torn because um, it's just gonna add the price, add more price to the new homes that are already expensive. But in the long run, it will save them money on energy and make a cleaner environment for California. Obviously, HOA shouldn't prevent you from using solar power, but to mandate it, I think that's going to an extreme. So technically, this is a perfect place for a house with solar panels. Absolutely, yes. And the orientation of this roof is primed to run them, you know, facing forward all the way down this roof. Monterey's modern home designs on the sunny cliffs overlooking Malibu lend themselves ideally to solar panels. But he says there are big flaws with California's upcoming solar panel rule. What is the problem or the challenge? Picking a panel that will have longevity and that is not a particularly wasteful process that's involved in making the panels. But to be clear, you are a solar power advocate. Yes. I just don't like the quality of the panels that we're getting and the fact that no one bothers to differentiate between crummy panels and not quite so crummy panels. Some call it the dirty little secret of this clean energy source. From start to finish, solar panels leave a trail of hazardous waste. An Associated Press investigation found that over five years, 17 of 41 solar panel manufacturers in California reported how much waste they produced, 46 and a half million pounds of sludge and contaminated water. 1.4 million pounds of waste was transported to nine other states. So this is your house? It is, we've been here for about 10 years. And did you try the solar panel thing? We sure did. Adding to the waste issue, Monterey says many of today's solar panels don't last very long. So right over here, he right showed over us where he removed solar panels from his own house after less than three years. You mean this spot? Yeah. This That's spot the... right here, yeah. Okay. And this has happened not just here, but in a few other houses that I designed, and the owners installed panels that did not last. Used solar panels are already a global environmental threat, according to the pro-nuclear power group Environmental Progress. It found that solar panels create 300 times more toxic waste per unit of energy than nuclear power plants. Households with solar roofs produce up to 60% more electronic waste than non-solar households. I think they will find that many of these panels that are installed are going to go straight to landfill. And it will be a groundwater issue. There will be an issue disposing of these materials and ultimately reclaiming them. It's like the, everything from cell phones to computers. It's nasty, nasty stuff. 
A partial solution, he says, could be neighborhood solar farms more easily maintained with less waste. In fact, California's new rule allows new homes to use rooftop panels or a shared solar grid that serves multiple homes. In the end, California's experience matters to people living in other states. Do you think California's solar mandate will likewise somehow resonate across the country and impact other areas too? Give it a couple of years and other states that are suited to solar, like Arizona, southern New Mexico, Florida, maybe. a lot of Texas, a lot of the Gulf Coast and, and, and Florida, yeah, all the way across the southeast. Um, these kind of places can use the solar mandate and it would work. Do you think in a general sense there's a trend here that as California goes, so will go the rest of the nation or at least the sunny states? Clearly, that is the way that this is going to go. And uh, it's not necessarily a good thing because I think California is moving prematurely on this technology. The new law applies to California homes built after January 1st, 2020. Right now, it's estimated a bit less than 20% of homes in the Golden State have solar panels. That was from 2019. And I do plan to visit California again in the near future and update how their solar panel law is working out. When it comes to reporting on these issues, it's not as if nobody's reporting on them, even if you're not seeing a lot of it on the main channels that you watch or the publications that you read. One interesting article can be found at canarymedia.com. Canarymedia.com, if you want to look it up, it's called What You Need to Know About Minerals and the Clean Energy Transition. What You Need to Know About Minerals and the Clean Energy Transition. And this is some of what we touch upon in my cover story this week on Full Measure. It says minerals are key to making clean tech like batteries, but they're often mined in problematic ways. And it gives some detail. So I'm going to go through this article and read you a little bit of it. It's by David Roberts. First, we're going to take at face value just for the purpose of this discussion that it is possible for man to hold global warming down if it's occurring. There's a lot of debate and dispute over that topic among scientists, even though you don't get a lot of coverage on that side of the issue either. But just for the purpose of this discussion, it says to hold warming to less than 1.5 degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels, the world must cut greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030 and reach net zero emissions by 2050. Now, this is an aside again from me, not from Canary Media. We seem to not get very many projections correct about scientific things. And here we're supposed to believe that we have calculated down to fine points exactly how much as a world we could generate in terms of greenhouse gas emissions in order to come up with this calculation that warms the earth or doesn't warm the earth as much. But again, let's just take that at face value. The article goes on to say, to keep things within range, that we must radically ramp up production of solar panels, wind turbines, batteries, electric vehicles, electrolyzers for hydrogen and power lines. And it says, those technologies are far more mineral intensive than are the equivalent fossil fuel technologies. This is me again talking aside from the article, minerals don't sound like a bad thing if you're just an ordinary observer, at least not to me. But there's all kinds of problems with mining for minerals. So the article goes on to say that according to the International Energy Agency, 
A typical electric car requires six times the mineral inputs of a conventional car, and an onshore wind plant requires nine times more mineral resources than a gas-fired plant of the same capacity. Power transmission and distribution require aluminum and copper. Batteries in electric vehicles require cobalt, lithium, and nickel. Wind turbines require rare earth elements, and so on. The article goes on to read that in its encyclopedic 2021 report on the subject, the International Energy Agency estimates that a concerted effort to reach the goals of the Paris Agreement would mean a quadrupling of mineral requirements for clean energy technologies by 2040, an even faster transition to hit net zero globally by 2050 would require six times more mineral inputs in 2040 than today. So some individual minerals will see particularly sharp jumps, according to the World Bank, says this article. Graphite and lithium demand are so high that current production would need to ramp up by nearly 500 percent by 2050 under a two-degree scenario just to meet demand. In researching this topic, I found that a lot of these studies that have been done or the material that's been written looking at the environmental impact of clean energy, it's written by people who are advocating for clean energy, so they assess it, but they tend to assess it in terms that sound kind of like, sure, we have some issues, but you just can't deny that it's much better to do this than to use fossil fuels. But really, I think a neutral assessment would say that more needs to be done to address the problems and not just say, well, overall, clean energy is still better than the fossil fuels that we've used for so long. You know, there are other concerns that I didn't have time to get into in my cover story that are discussed by scholars and experts, including the reliance on China, the heavy reliance for a lot of materials. And part of this is because we have some strong environmental laws in the United States that are there to make sure that our water and environment isn't over-polluted. But what that means is places that don't have such strict laws, like places in Asia, well, we're getting our materials from there. And sometimes where they don't even have worker requirements, so there are children working in very toxic environments either going through our old discarded electronics to try to salvage something, but they're getting poisoned. In the meantime, we are shipping some of these products and used items over to other countries where they have more lax laws and regulations, and these products are impacting their environment and polluting their water. Um, In places like China, I think it's well known that we get a lot of materials there because their technology for solar panels may not be great, but it's further along in general than ours here in the United States. It's cheaper because of their lack of regulations and requirements. So we are, in essence, benefiting our adversary when we're making this switch over that we can't handle ourselves here in the United States. And there's also the impact on things like water resources. To mine for some of these minerals that are required for the clean energy requires using a lot of water that's in scarce supply. And it ends up polluting water as part of the waste process. As we've explored previously on Full Measure, water as a resource is already a very touchy issue, particularly in the West, but becoming one all over the United States. This is touched on in a book called The Power of Renewables, Opportunities and Challenges for China and the United States. This was published by the National Academy of Engineering National Research Council of the National Academies and 
Chinese Academy of Sciences, Chinese Academy of Engineering in the National Academies Press. Why do I quote that? Well, if you look down there under what they've written about environmental impacts of renewable electricity generation, for example, it talks about water use and scarcity. And it says, water is a scarce resource in large portions of the United States and China. Recent global circulation model projections suggest that if climate change proceeds as expected under current business-as-usual scenarios, freshwater supplies will become even scarcer in some parts of the U.S. In China, the amount of water available per capita, only a quarter of the world per capita average water supply problems in China have been exacerbated because the spatial distribution of water is very uneven. Electricity production, it goes on to say, using thermoelectric technologies requires vast amounts of water, primarily for cooling. And in its conclusion, it states, while wind, solar, and some geothermal plants have very low water requirements, biomass, concentrating solar thermal, and some geothermal plants generally have requirements comparable to those of other thermoelectric facilities. In other words, when it comes to water, some of the clean energy alternatives are no better than what we've relied on in the past, and this could be an issue. It goes on to say the United States and China would benefit from efforts to further improve cost effectiveness and efficiency of low water use cooling systems to help expand their utilization. So there's so much to consider when we're talking about clean energy, and I think it just gives us another dimension, something else to think about rather than just saying to ourselves, we can drive an electric car and save the environment. Unfortunately, at this stage, it's not quite that easy. I hope you will watch my cover story this Sunday on Full Measure. If you miss it, as always, we post it on the Full Measure website at fullmeasure.news. The easiest way to see all of my archive stories, you can binge watch six and a half years of great original reporting on topics that maybe weren't mentioned much in the regular press. You can go to CherylAckison.com, click the Full Measure tab, and you'll see a link that goes to all my cover stories organized by topic. Additionally, at the Full Measure link, you can see a list of TV stations where we air, not only on Sundays, but sometimes other days of the week on replays. And we're in some markets on two different TV stations, like Washington, D.C. We are seen on WJLA ABC7, as well as News Channel 8 several times during the week. You can watch us live at fullmeasure.news, Sundays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time online. You can see replays there, which we post after it airs on TV. And you can watch Full Measure on our terrific app, STIRR, S-T-I-R-R, where we have other entertainment choices and also a very unique way you can connect with your local news or maybe even a local news station where you used to live and you want to catch up on what's going on there. You can't do that, I don't think, anywhere else online, but you can do it on the STIRR app. So we make it really easy to watch an episode of Full Measure wherever you are. What else do we have going on this week? We have a story that Scott Thuman is reporting for us on something called the CHIPS Act. You probably heard that there is a drastic shortage of computer chips that's caused all kinds of delays and maybe getting the car that you want if you've been shopping for a car because cars require these semiconductor chips. And in fact, they're used in so many of the electronic devices that we rely on every day and all kinds of things. Well, they are in short supply for all kinds of reasons. 
And Scott Thuman is going to talk about why, but also talk about a solution that's proposed because like the clean energy stuff, guess where we get most of our computer chips from China and China subsidizes the manufacturing of computer chips and they can make them very cheaply. So we get kind of stuck when we're short on chips because we're relying on a foreign supply from an adversary. There is a proposal in Congress to solve that problem, but like most everything, it requires a lot of your tax dollars. And Scott Thuman's going to tell us about that. I also have an interview with Senator Angus King, who you may or may not know, recently headed up a very important committee on coming up with recommendations to help us prepare for and hopefully prevent a cyber attack. You know, our experts have been saying for a long time that a cyber threat is one of the biggest threats to our national security. It could come in from China or Russia or really just some rogue operator not affiliated with any established country. Well, there was actually a commission that was convened for two years that came up with all kinds of recommendations. And unlike a lot of these commissions that do work like that, many of their recommendations were adopted into law. Not all of them, but anyway, Senator King will talk to us about the work of the commission, what they did, and what's been left undone. All of that on the upcoming episode of Full Measure. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit CherylAckeson.com and the new store under the store tab at CherylAckeson.com for products that will help you support independent journalism and put a smile on your face and show people where you stand as an independent thinker. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.